In light of just friendship and the importance of having people in our life that can see us through hard things, um, I want to talk about that today. So if you have a Bible nearby, if you want to grab it and turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking today at verses 19 through 30, Philippians 2, 19 through 30. You know what else is so cool about being down here today is that I get to preach and I am looking at actual faces and not masks. Um, <laughs> it's so nice. Like seriously, it's like the most refreshing thing. I'm in Portland where the riots come from. Maybe you've heard. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. I'll go down to verse 25. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you, and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, and he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. You know, it's been a fascinating year, and that's an understatement. Um, and one of the things that has been so interesting, just to see all these lockdowns that have happened and how people have kind of had to work behind a camera, I think one of the refreshing things has been to really see what it's done culturally, how it's flattened the social hierarchy, where all of a sudden, you know, all the, the big crowds are stripped away and the stages and the lights and all the things that, that culturally we deem as important. And all of a sudden, whether it's Stephen Colbert or LeBron James or whoever, whatever celebrities are out there, it's like them behind a camera on Zoom in their pajamas, sitting in a living room. And all of a sudden, people have realized like, oh, we're, we're just normal. We're just humans like everyone else. I don't know if you guys saw this a couple months ago. Um, I guess they've, they've even been doing Zoom via, or, or court via Zoom. So a, a court meeting, of course, you have to dress up and you're standing before a judge. It's a really big deal. Um, but instead now, it's just all been done virtually and remotely. And, and a couple months ago, this was on the news, um, it was a Zoom court meeting gone wrong. A guy shows up and he didn't realize that, you know those filters you have on the Zoom thing? He didn't realize that one of his filters was on. In fact, I want to show you guys this. It's so amazing. It's like 30 seconds long. So, yeah, let's check out this video. I believe you have a filter turned on in the video. 
video settings, you might want to uh, uh, take We're a trying look. to, we're, did you hear me, Judge? I can hear you. I think it's a filter. It, it the, is, and I don't know how to remove it. I've got my assistant here. She's trying to. Uh, I'm prepared to go forward with it. I'm here lying, but it's not, I'm not a cat. I can, I can see that. And I think if you click the up arrow next to this. That is absolutely amazing. I am not a cat. Like, I think if anything just summarizes the craziness we've been through that this last year, that would be it. I, I don't know about you. There's something like really refreshing when I, when I see those moments of authenticity, when I see like, you know what? We take ourselves so seriously sometimes. And this last year, in, in one of the good things at least, is that it's kind of flattened everything out and it's enabled us to, I think, be a little more open and honest and authentic. Now, I share that. Because this passage in Philippians chapter 2 is kind of Paul's version of Zoom meeting. It's Paul saying, you know what? I'm going through stuff too. After a couple chapters of sharing all this heady, deep, beautiful, rich theology, the incarnation and Jesus becoming a man, he then kind of narrows down, opens up his heart, shares what's going on, and he says, look, I'm going through stuff too. He, he opens up about some of the anxiety that he was feeling. He talks about his friends. We'll talk about that today. Timothy and Epaphroditus. He shares about this hard decision he had to make to, sh- to send Epaphroditus back home. And then he talks about some of the health concerns that he had. And for me, I find this refreshing because this is a side of Paul where he's saying, I'm human just like you, and we can hit the pause button on all the theology, and here's stuff that I'm going through. And in these verses, we see one aspect of Paul's humanness that I find deeply inspiring. Specifically, he talks about how he did life in friendship. As you know, Paul, at this period in his life, he's in jail, he's on death row, he's in chains, he's awaiting his execution, he's going through some really hard times. And yet there were a couple guys in his life that helped see him through those hard times to bring health and encouragement and wholeness to his soul that was under pressure. In fact, notice the language he uses of Timothy. He says in verse 19, I have no one else like him. In verse 20, he says he shows genuine, he, he shows genuine concern, he says, for Timothy's welfare. In verse 22, he says, Timothy proved himself He was like a son to me. He served with me in the work of the ministry. And then in verse 25, he talks about his other friend, a guy by the name of Epaphroditus. Uh, He says he's a brother, he's a co-worker, and he's a fellow soldier. So Paul is saying, look, even though I'm going through a ton right now, he's in prison, here are some guys that were with me through those difficult times. Here are some guys that are standing next to me when life is falling apart. And this is what sustained me. It's the power of friendship. In the book of Ecclesiastes chapter four, Solomon writes, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. 
If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. That's what friendship is. Friendship is when you have someone in your life that when you're drowning, you're gasping for air, you're struggling, you're hurting, you're going through a tough year, they're by your side. They don't just throw you a lifeline, they are your lifeline. Friendship or lack of friendship can make a vital difference to the health of our soul and even how our story unfolds. Here's another verse, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. It says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The author here says, there's going to be some friends in your life that kind of fill that void. They, they stick closer than a brother. And I, I find that interesting that he talks about a brother. Because just because you have a brother or you grow up in the same house as someone or you share the same last name as someone, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're, friend, that you're friends with them. Because a friend is someone that you, you get to choose. You don't necessarily get to choose your family, right? And with friends, though, this is someone that you can invest in, you can spend time with, you can choose whether or not they're going to be a part of your life. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The comedian George Burns, he put it this way. He said, happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. And the fact that you laugh at that, you tell me (laughs) that you kind of know what that feels like, that friends... Friends are deeper in many cases than our own flesh and blood. You can choose your friends. This is why Proverbs says we need to value them. We need to honor them because they are the glue that will hold your soul together in difficult times. Friendship is deeper than a contract. It's commitment. Friendship is the resolve to fight for the other person when they're weakest. It's the choice to stand up for them when no one else will. Friendship is vulnerability, it's availability, it's sacrifice, it's honesty, it's compassion. True friendship is just making yourself available to the other person when they need you most. You know, back in January, my my wife, Felisa, was not feeling well. Um, She was sick for a couple weeks, and she had this cough. It, It wasn't anything dramatic, but it was enough to, like, get our attention, and she, it wasn't COVID or anything, but like, okay, what's going on here? Because her breathing as each day went by was getting harder and harder. My wife, she's like so amazing. She's such, she's such a warrior that, that she just thinks she can plow through anything. I'm like, you got to go to the doctor. You got to check this out. And she's like, no, I'll be okay. I'll be okay. And finally, one day I could realize things weren't okay. And she said, well, just let me take a nap. And then when I get up from my nap, I'll decide and see if I need to go to the doctor. I said, no, you're actually going to make a solemn promise right now before God that if you feel the same way when you wake up, you're going to let me take you into the doctor. I literally made her swear this. And so she's sitting in the bed. She's like, okay, I promise I will. And she gets up from her nap a couple hours later, and still she's having a tough time breathing. And so I'm like, okay, let's go in. We, we drive downtown and take her to this clinic. They took an x-ray of her, of her chest, and her right lung had completely collapsed. Now, there's a name for it. Uh, they call it a spontaneous pneumothorax. That's the medical term, which basically means your lung collapsed, and we have no idea why. And they immediately put her on an ambulance. Uh, we go to the ER. She's there for two weeks. 
a couple different surgeries, and there were a couple moments in there. She had a, a, a few things, complications that happened as a result of it. And, and there are some moments there was really, really scary. I didn't know if she was going to make it through. And when you walk through stuff like that, and, and I know that many of you in this room, you, you've gone through things this last year. You faced stuff this last year. What really sees you through are, are the people that come alongside of you, not like Job's friends or advisors, just to give you a list of verses or you know, hallmark, cliche, Christianese. What really makes a difference are the kinds of friends, and Matt's been a, like this kind of friend for me, who just say, look, is there anything we can do to help you through it? You know, it's been said before, that when we honestly ask ourselves which person in our life means the most to us, we most often find that it's those who, instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. The friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can stay with us in an hour of grief and bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not healing, and face with us the reality of, a, of our powerlessness, that is a friend who cares. Do you have a friend like that in your life? You know, it's so interesting that when you study science, how Science is often doing its best to catch up to what the Bible said thousands of years ago. And when it comes to the art of friendship, that this is something that for thousands of years God has been telling us and communicating to us through his word, through the prophets, through Solomon, through his son. And yet now, over the last five, ten years, there's been a ton of research in the world of science showing just how beneficial friendship is to our physical health. I, I wish we had hours to talk about this, don't worry. But let me just give you like six real quick bullet points on how friendship really can make or break your health. It's fascinating. Number one, friendship. Did you know friendship extends your life? <laughs> so there's all kinds of evidence now that shows if you have strong social relationships, you are on average less likely to die prematurely. Number two, friendship makes you healthier. When you look at biomarkers such as BMI, blood pressure, inflammation, those on average who have deep ties of friendship are much healthier compared to those who live in isolation. Now, there's been a lot of conversation about this over the last year. I don't know what it's been like for you guys down in Grants Pass. It feels like a different planet down here in a really good way compared to where we've been living. But man, it's been like so lockdown friendly up there. My poor daughter, Amelia, uh, she's been doing Zoom on high school uh, for the last year and a half or whatever. And if you have a high school or a middle school or if you're in high school or middle school, you just know how painful that is. Like a season in life where you need connection and friendship and you need people in your life to help you through stuff and help you decide things and to encourage you. And what I'm seeing right now is a spike of anxiety and depression that is a byproduct of isolation. We weren't meant to be alone, right? In the book of Genesis, God created the world in six days. He made the mountains and he said it is good. He made the stars, and he said, it is good. He made rivers, and he said, it is good. He made Edgewater and this amazing sanctuary, and he said, it is very good, right? And then he made man, Adam. He's like, it's not good, right? It's not good for man to be what? Alone. So he made a woman 
took one look at him, and he's like, I can do better than that. And that's when he made the woman, right? <laughs> we, we weren't meant to be alone. We, we need one another. And science is now saying, hey, we, in, just for our physical health, our mental health, we, we need one another. Number three, friendship is good for your brain. A 2012 study from the Netherlands found that one of the key risks for dementia and other cognitive disorders is loneliness, but those who have thick social bonds are at lower risk. Number four, this one's huge. Friendship helps keep you motivated. This is so true. If you have a friend who maybe they start a diet or a new spiritual practice or they start working out or whatever, it encourages you, right? It inspires you. But on the flip side, if you have people in your life who are cultivating unhealthy practices, did you know science is now saying you are 57% more likely to go down the same path? So if you came up afterwards and we shook hands and I was still up here and you grabbed my hand, it would be a whole lot easier for you to pull me off the stage than it would be for me to pull you up on the stage. And so too in the friendship circles that we have in our life, we need to be careful. Sure, we're evangelists, we're missionaries, we need to be looking for people to reach up and help and encourage, but we also need people in our life who can come alongside of us and lift us up and inspire us and encourage us. Now science is saying, hey, it's going to help you keep more motivated and healthy at every level if you have those friends. Number five, friendship helps you survive hard times. Again, study after study has shown that when you go through things like unemployment or divorce or disease or pandemic or whatever, a key factor for you coming out on the other side of that is Friendship. Number six, friendship provides stability in an ever-changing world. We, we, we live in a time where everything is uncertain, right? Politics, the virus, social unrest, the economy. But God has given us certain rocks in our life, people that we can go to who will anchor our soul and keep us strong and focused on Jesus when everything else around us is falling apart. Proverbs 17, verse 7 says, a friend loves at all times. Now, here's the question. How can I be that kind of friend? How, how can you be that kind of friend that loves at all times? And another question related to that is, how can I get and cultivate those kinds of friendships? I know even talking about friendship today, there, there are two kinds of people in this room and outside. Some of us, in fact, the stats tell us, this was about a month ago, uh, the Pew Research, they, they came out with this new study on loneliness and what this last year has done to people. Did you know that 67% of Americans say that they feel profoundly lonely right now? That's a heartbreaking stat. So roughly two-thirds of us in this room, if we're honest, would say, yeah, I'm going through a season of loneliness. Two groups of us. Some of us, you hear a message on friendship and you're like, man, your heart is warmed because someone comes to mind. Maybe you're thinking of texting him right now. You're like, this sermon is about you. Thanks for being that kind of friend to me. But then statistically, two-thirds of us, it leaves a dull ache in our heart because for whatever reason, this last year has been profoundly lonely. It's been difficult. It's been hard. Maybe because of all that's happened politically or what's been going on with the virus or relocating or whatever. 
It's been a year where you've maybe lost some friends or you're looking to get new friends and you're in this space right now where I share these verses with you, but it's more than a verse because you're like, yeah, I'm there right now. I need a friend that's gonna stick closer than a brother. I I need someone who is gonna help me through this difficult patch that I'm in. And if you're in that space, I wanna share with you three thoughts I hope can be really, really encouraging to you. Uh, Things that the Lord is walking me through right now. Number one, True friendship, true friendship is rare. It's rare. Proverbs 27 verse 9 says, friendship is like a rare perfume or a sweet food. And keep in mind, this was written during a time when perfume was really rare and sweet foods were rare. In fact, did you know if you had honey, you were generally very well off. Honey honey was like liquid gold. So so in the book of Proverbs, Solomon's like, if you have a friend, it's like having something as rare and costly as perfume or honey. In other words, if you have that person in your life, you need to treasure them and honor them and value them. But if you don't have that person in your life right now, you need to give yourself grace because true friendship isn't something that you can create on a thin air. True friendship, you guys know this. It's not something that you get just by pressing the follow button on social media, right? True friendship isn't forced, it's forged. It can take years and years to develop. The average American says that they have about 16 friends. That sounds like a lot. But then you begin to dig into it and you find out those 16 people are really just acquaintances. They're people that they work with. They're people they know from their, their past or whatever or follow online. And then you ask the deeper question, okay, who can you trust? Who, who's a confidant in your life? And they say, on average, it's about one. And the reason I share that with you because if you're in a space right now where you're part of the two-thirds of Americans where you feel lonely, actually, you're not alone because two-thirds of us feel the same way. You're in a space right now where you need to know it's not you, but it is normal to feel isolated, especially after what we've gone through over this last year. Or maybe you have a new job, or you, you recently moved, or you're, you're a part of this church now, and you're about to start a new year in college, or you recently switched high school or middle school. It's normal in seasons like that to feel alone. And I just share this to say, give yourself grace. Don't cut yourself off from others. And be open to the new relationships that maybe God wants to forge in your life right now. If you're like me, when you go through hard times, it's so easy to kind of shell up and withdraw from people. And yet this can be a season in our life where we say, I'm going to make every effort to to look for new friends or to pray for new friends or be open to those new people. I think friends are like different seasons of life. You might have a friend that for five years they're in your life, and they're the friend that sticks closer than a brother, but then something happens, or they move away, or whatever, and then the Lord begins to bring other friends in your life for a different kind of season to deal with different things that you're wrestling through. True friendship is rare, and when you have it, this leads us to point two, you got to invest in it. Friendship demands investment, and this point actually is super convicting because In Proverbs 18, verse 24, it says, a man who has friends must be what? Friendly, friendly. I'm sure sure Matt's dealt with this before. I have in the different churches I pastored. 
Every now and then you'll meet someone who says, you know, I'm leaving your church, I don't like it, and you ask them why, and they say, because it's not friendly. And then you, the follow-up question is, well, have you tried to make friends? And nine times out of 10, the answer is no. They leave at the last song, they don't join any small groups, they're not making any effort, and there is that beautiful verse in Proverbs 18, do you want friends? Then you, there's a part, there's a role for you to play too. You need to expend some effort. Hard work is the lifeblood of friendship. And if we want true friends, we actually have a responsibility too to cultivate that and to pursue that. My wife and I, we lived in um, North Carolina in the South uh, for about a year or so. We planted a church out there. And there was this Dollar Tree store uh, that was kind of near, I don't know if you have that in Grants, but this Dollar Tree store that's like right, right near our house. And it was in the news recently. A stray dog, true story, a stray dog decided to camp outside this Dollar Tree store. And over the course of several days or a week or so, whenever the doors of that Dollar Tree opened, that stray dog would run through the doors, run to the back of the stores, the same place every time he ran in, the back of the store where the toy aisle was. And on the second shelf in the toy aisle was a purple unicorn. It was always the same one. He just was obsessed with this thing. He would grab the purple unicorn in his mouth. He would turn and make a run for it back through the store, outside those doors. And the employees got used to it over a few days. They chase him down. They grab that purple unicorn. They bring it back, put it on the second shelf. And sure enough, an hour or two later, he'd zip through. There he goes again. He did this over and over and over again. They don't know what to do. So, so finally, they're like, okay, we, we got to call the animal control people. They call them up. Uh, they show up at the dollar store. They, they go in. They grab the dog. And they, they put him down. Um, it's a real sad story. I'm kidding. They didn't do that. (laughs) You're like, why are you telling us that? It's so dark. (laughs) No. They they took the dog. They brought him back to the animal control shelter. And the lady lady who got him, she actually felt so sorry for him and thought it was kind of cute. She spent the $10 and she bought the unicorn for the dog. And because the news was getting out now, it was on the media and stuff, um, a, a day later, he was adopted. In fact, I want to show you a picture of the dog and his purple <laughs> unicorn. Friendship looks something like that. Friendship is when you have someone in your life, and it's like, they're your purple unicorn. It's like, you know what? God's put you in my life. I'm going to chase after you. God's brought us together, and I'm not going to let this thing die. God's given me a heart for you, a passion for you, and I want to see how you are. Text messages, calling them up, FaceTime, driving to their house. You are invested in their life. Who is your purple unicorn? Some of you are texting someone right now, and they're really confused. You're like, you're my purple unicorn. Let's talk about that later. If you want friends, then you need to be 
friendly. Friendship is pursuit, it's faithfulness. When the door cracks open in their life, you're there. When they go through stuff, you're there. When they're hurting, you're there. So often we wanna outsource our friendship to luck and chance, but in reality, true friends are not born, they're made. And that means if you want good friends, you need to get outside of your comfort zone and put in the hard work of getting to know them. What makes them tick? How are they wired? What brings them joy? What are they struggling with right now? What are they walking through right now? It's investment of memories and moments It's building a framework of emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual awareness. It means that you need to be vulnerable too and opening up yourself to the possibility that in the process of forging those kind of real friendships, you might be hurt. There's again another verse in Proverbs that says, faithful are the what? Wounds of a friend. You know how some words don't really seem to go together? You know, in an oxymoron, you're like, wounds and friend. They, they don't seem to go together. Like, you know, Dodge Ram, right? Or government intelligence. Like, there's some words you're like, that it doesn't really seem to go together. Wounds and friend. Like, I don't want the kind of friends who just affirm me and say the best about me and don't challenge me. Well, is that really friendship? Because true friends are those who care enough to confront. They don't just tell you what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. And I think one of the ways you can know they're your friend is that if you mess up or if you fail in some epic way, and we all do, we all go through those times of where we make mistakes, where we're hurting, where we're struggling, a true friend is one who's going to stick around to help you see where you fell, that's only part of it. Anyone can help you see where you fall. Anyone can help point out your mistakes. It's called Facebook, right? But it takes a true friend to say, I'm not just going to point out where you fell. I want to help you get back up, and I want to walk with you towards your healing. A true friend is someone who is there, not just with you in your success, but in your failure. A true friend steps up when life has let you down. And if you want that kind of friendship, then we need to cultivate a radical pursuit. You need to go after them. You need to love them. Is there anyone in your life right now that maybe you've just kind of let the friendship die? You haven't checked in on them. You haven't asked them how they're doing. It's been a while since you've really opened up your heart with them. What would it look like for you to say, hey, I need you in my life, and I want to be a good friend for you. Let's, Let's take this deeper And finally, number three, friendship thrives in grace. And this point is so huge. Uh, We live, again, this is like a different planet down here in Grants Pass, but up in Portland, like the rallying cry, especially of the emerging generation, is this word justice. And, and, And the Bible has a lot to say about justice, and that's great. But one thing that I think that, that we've forgotten in this moment in which we live, and we see this all across the nation, is that in our pursuit of justice, if we take justice apart from pursuit of God and loving God and seeking God, what you have is justice without grace. And so what we see right now in this moment in which we find ourselves in is all these people talk about justice, but because there's no grace, there's no forgiveness, what that turns into then is cancel culture. What that turns into is bitterness. What that turns into is shaming the other. And I think one of the things we've forgotten in this time in which we live is how to love well and how to listen well and how to learn and how to empathize and how to forgive. And again, I don't know about you, but I have seen so many friendships poisoned 
over this last year. Poisoned by politics, poisoned on responses to the pandemic, poisoned by fill in the blank. I'm seeing people just angry and bitter and going after each other. People had lifelong friendships with one another. Now, because of some political disagreement or whatever, it's like, I'm not talking to you anymore. I've sat down with people at our church who went at it online. And it's so funny that how people act online versus in real life. <laughs> These two people were just like, seriously, the, the amount of hate and vitriol. And then I sat them down in the same room, and like the moment they walk in and see each other, like, oh, good to see you. Like, it, it, it's amazing how when we just kind of step behind the virtual wall and see each other face to face, what a difference that can make. And I think what we need, I think if we're going to see revival, actually, if we're going to see a fresh work of the Spirit in our nation, if we're going to see God heal some of the wounds that exist in our country, more than ever, we need a revolution of grace. And the church needs to be the one that leads the charge. The church needs to be the place where we take a deep breath and say, okay, is this disagreement worth destroying a friendship over? Is this worth burning that bridge over? What would it look like for us to be the healing presence of Jesus? Because if friendship demands 100% conformity, if that's what we want, that's not a friendship. That's just a mirror, right? If you want someone who just looks like you and acts like you and thinks like you and votes like you, you're not describing another person, you're describing you, right? True friendship means we need to open ourselves to the possibility that we could be challenged and changed. And it's accepting the beautiful mess of the body of Jesus because like any body, there are different parts. Every single part of us have a different part to play in the body of Jesus. Some of you are the feet, you have a heart for mission. Some of you are the knees, you have a heart for prayer. Some of you are the mouth, and, and you have a heart to share truth. Some of you are the ear, and you have discernment. Some of you are the appendix. We don't know what you do, but we're glad you're here, right? We all, we all have a different part to play. And that's a beautiful mess of being part of the body of Jesus. When there's people in the same room, you may not see eye to eye politically, but you can stand shoulder to shoulder and worship the same God. And we come to the same table. We eat and drink together, and we worship together. And in a time, not this church, because you guys are so healthy, but you guys are so rare right now. In a time where I'm seeing churches across the nation divide and become tribal and put up walls, we need to tell a different story. We need to show our culture what unity looks like, what Jesus looks like. And you look how Jesus did friends. He had Simon the Zealot on his team. You know, Simon the Zealot... His whole thing was burn it all down, Portland, right? <laughs> and then he has Matthew, the tax collector, who worked for the government. These were his disciples, John, who wanted to call down fire on a village, Peter, who betrayed him, Thomas, who doubted him. And Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And shortly after he said that, Jesus showed us what true friendship looks like. He was betrayed. Have you been betrayed? Jesus knows what that feels like. He was wounded. And Jesus went to the cross where justice and mercy meet. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is what the Lord's put on my heart just to share with you guys. 
in a year where we've seen so many relationships polarized, in a time where so many bridges have been burned, in a time when we've all, I'm sure, been hurt in some way by others. Is there anyone in your life today, and you know who they are, even now God's putting them on your heart, that you need to forgive? Who's your purple unicorn? Who's the person that right now the Spirit of God is saying, I want you to go after them. I want you to forgive them. I want you to say, maybe I'm sorry, or can we talk about the elephant in the room? Is there someone in your life right now that you need to forgive? And forgiveness isn't the instant restoration of trust. This is important to say because there are some people in our life that honestly are a toxic presence and the best thing that happened to you was for some space to happen between you and that person. So I'm not saying there has to be instant restoration of trust, but you can still forgive so that you can be set free. Corey Tenboom, she knew a thing or two about forgiveness, by the way. She was put in a Nazi concentration camp. Horrible things happened to her. After she got out, really, the rest of her life was centered on this beauty of forgiveness. And this is what she said, and I leave you with this. If you've ever seen a country church with a bell on the steeple, you'll remember that to get the bell ringing, you have to tug a while. Once it has begun to ring, you merely maintain the momentum. As long as you keep pulling, the bell keeps ringing. Forgiveness is letting go of the rope. It is just that simple. But when you do so, the bell keeps ringing. Momentum is still at work. However, if you keep your hands off the rope, the bell will begin to slow and eventually stop. Forgiveness is letting go of the rope. I know what it's like to feel bitterness in my heart. I know you do too. Maybe even right now, you can sense it, you can feel it. It's poisoning you, it's hurting you. And I think that the Lord is saying to some of us today, it's time to let it go. But the bell keeps ringing. I still feel that way. That's true. It takes a while. But in time, the noise, the anger, the bitterness begins to subside and the peace of God comes rushing through. Is there anyone right now that you need to forgive? Because forgiveness is letting go of the rope. Would you grab the communion that's nearby? And if you would, would you stand up with me right now? And we want to invite the Lord just to make application and speak our hearts. Would you pray with me? God, we, we hold in our hand what forgiveness looks like. And when we're holding the bread, when we're holding the cup, God, it's impossible to have anything else in our hands. And I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters. I pray, God, for this beautiful church 
And I pray especially, Lord, for any who are in this space who have just been hurt by someone, who are struggling in this area of friendship, who feel lonely, who feel lost when it comes to relationships. Lord, I pray that your healing hand will begin to work in their life. You bring wholeness where there's been brokenness, where you bring peace, where there's been betrayal. And Lord, would you show us how we can forgive even right now? Is there anyone right now the Spirit is bringing to your heart saying you need to forgive that person? Is there anyone today that after this service is over, you need to grab your phone and call them up or send them a text message or drive over to their house? Is there any bridge that's been burned in your life that God wants to repair? Lord, you sat with your closest friends and you took bread and you broke it. You took a cup and you blessed it. You said, eat and drink in remembrance of me. So Father, as we eat and drink of you, would your wholeness and healing and grace fill us and give us the strength that we need to forgive, to love, to pursue friendship. In Jesus' name. Let's eat and drink together. Such an honor to be here with you guys today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Love what God is doing here.